I think it's that reclaiming the, your power, reclaiming something that's been taken. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and I am thrilled to introduce you to Amelia Zachary today. She is an incredibly beautiful and powerful writer. I have absolutely loved digging through her blog and just reading her words. And she is also the author of Enough, a memoir of mistakes, mania, and motherhood, which is available for pre-order and officially coming out in October of this year, 2022. And I personally can't wait to read it because again, your words are so beautiful and credible. But Amelia, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And I heard you say 2022 and I, it struck me like, wow, we're already, we already 2022. It feels like there was a blip right? in like 2020 and suddenly we're here. <laughs> I've been journaling every morning and I noticed that all of January, I've still been putting 2021 and I was like, okay, <laughs> it's 2022. But I would love to start with you sharing just a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do so everyone can get to know you. Awesome. Well, first of all, I think... Above all, I'm a mother. I have two beautiful girls and um, most of my time is spent mothering and being there with them and chauffeuring. And I'm also an author and I am an avid advocate for se sexual assault awareness and normalizing mental health. And so a lot of my topics that I write about surround um, sexual assault and mental health, as well as some... Um, um, some, some stories on immigration, my experience as an immigrant here in America and parenting a child that's profoundly gifted. Yeah. It's again, I can't speak highly enough about your words. They're just so beautiful. So I appreciate as someone who has been through my own trauma and experiences, obviously, I have learned so much from other people over the years, people who are willing to share their stories and their journeys. And it's not these aren't easy conversations to have. So I just want to like, thank you for the work that you're doing in the world, because it's so important that everyone else who's going through similar situations knows that they're not alone. Thank you. And that's the power in that, right? The women that come before us who have been able to find courage and strength and valiantly um, share their stories so that um, it, had, it has paved way, ways for women like us to be able to share our voice. Yes. And I think that's a powerful thing for us to like stand together and share our stories. I would love to go back to kind of the beginning of your journey. I always like to paint a picture of the world before in these interviews. So I know that your assault and life really began changing for you when you were 19. But share a little bit about who you were and what life looked like for you before that happened. Well, life before that, I was I had a pretty wholesome life, a very good tight-knit family and we everybody's in everybody's business and I was very well loved and um, cared for and in a lot of ways sheltered and I think that that kind of um, that kind of led to me not being um, privy to like what could happen or what would would have happened and so well childhood was a lot of fun I spent a few years living with my grandmother and she was a very spiritual person and she was very into internal healing and um, um, being at peace with the world and yourself. And she, that's what she imparted on me. And that was, that was, I think, something that I carried through um, the years. 
And so I was a very confident person. I was very um, sure-footed. I was very ambitious. I was very rebellious because I think that had to do with the confidence that I had. And this was the kind of person that I was. I was good at school. And I was, I was that person who had goals and was sure that I was going to achieve them because I was so sure of myself. Absolutely. So that's, that's in a nutshell, I guess, who I was before this all. And tell us as much or as little as you're open to sharing about what happened and especially, you know, how that affected you and shifted your life. So I was 19 when it happened. I was in college on a night out and I was sexually assaulted. And I was too young to understand the true meaning of what had happened. And I, because I was very sheltered, because I come from a family that was pretty conservative, I thought that I had done something wrong and I placed all the blame on myself. And I thought that like, I, I made the wrong choices. Good girls don't go out at night. Good girls don't drink. Good girls don't take drinks from strangers. Good girls have good friends. And so I had done all those things and I thought that I was to blame for all of it. That's such a relatable, I think a majority of women, obviously I can't speak for all women, but a majority of women grow up with that narrative and that it's just the way that the culture speaks to us, right? Well, what were you wearing and where, why were you out there and, and all of the things. And so I think I can definitely relate, you know, I have an assault story as well, but it's very different. It was within a relationship, but same narrative comes into play where you just start to immediately blame yourself and make yourself wrong. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm so sorry that you had that experience. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about a little bit more, I guess, about how it affected the trajectory of your life at that time? Did it impact you with school? Did it impact you in any other way? Well, I think it um, kind of took the wind out of my sails entirely. I wasn't myself anymore. I felt small and insignificant and I was full of shame and guilt and I couldn't face anyone or especially my family. So I kind of um, isolated myself and I kind of made myself, made myself the pariah overnight in my mind by myself. But I was ostracized by the people around me but at the same time, I took it upon myself to isolate myself and make myself feel um, like I didn't deserve to be amongst other people, good people, because I wasn't good anymore. And so that kind of led to my, um, I didn't go to classes anymore. I didn't go to classes because I was afraid to go on campus. I was afraid to run into the person who had done this to me. I was afraid to run into his friends. I was afraid to run into my friends. And so the cycle began and I started spiraling and it didn't stop. It didn't stop at college. I managed to, and then I transferred to a different college to finish off my bachelor's. And I, I thought that it would end by moving somewhere else, but it didn't. It, it kept, it, it was with me and I kept it with me and it kept going for years after that. I was spiraling into promiscuity and I was spiraling into drinking excessively and irresponsible behavior, maladaptive behaviors that I did not understand I was doing at this at that point was a trauma response. 
Or later on, I actually found out I also had bipolar disorder, which was triggered by the sexual assault. The trauma that I experienced had triggered the bipolar disorder. So like a lot of things, a chain of things, spiral happened right after that incident. That's such a hard period, especially when you're isolating and especially when you don't have supportive people around you. I know for me, it took a long time to really start to have like healthy and supportive conversations about what happened. And it was even then it was still terrifying because the shame and the guilt and the blame is just so loud internally. And so having those conversations was very difficult for me. If you're open to sharing a little bit about what it looked like for you to share with people and what was challenging in that and the things that were and were not supportive. And I ask that because I think it's really challenging for people to have these conversations and to name what happened to them and to kind of hold steady within those conversations. So I'm just curious, I guess, if you had any conversations at all about what had happened that were even slightly supportive or if that took a while afterwards. For me, it took a while afterwards. I think it's this, and even then, when I when I opened up to my friends and my now husband, I shared the, this story. Um, I think it's an uncomfortable situation for both parties because, like, there is this there's this sense of like this idea of like hurt and pain and shame and guilt that's wrapped in this tight capsule that like threatens to explode if we if we try and like un- open it and so i i it took me a while I, it took me i want to say 10 11 years before i opened up to somebody to, I, I did open up to somebody before but who was my college professor who actually said to me if you hadn't been hanging out with thugs this wouldn't have happened And so after that, I kind of refrained from trying to tell people what happened, but also mostly because I felt shameful. I felt like people would view me poorly if I were to share the story. But when I finally opened up to someone whom I trusted, my my friends and my now husband, when I told let's let's just use him as an example. So when I told him, he was appalled. Obviously, number one because he couldn't believe that something like that would ever happen to somebody. You hear about this happening, but you never actually like hear it happening to somebody you know. I, I feel like it's sexual assault is out there. One in six women are, are victims of attempted or completed rape, but you don't see them every day because nobody, nobody actually like talks. It's not something you sit down with somebody and say, hey, so by the way, I was raped. How about you, right? We don't have these conversations. So I think for him, it was shocking. And for me, for me, at the end of the conversation, because he was so supportive and he was so loving and he was, he was trying to convince me that it wasn't a mistake as I thought it was. I had thought, I've always thought about it as a mistake. And he tried to tell me that it wasn't my fault. Like, it, you can go out at night and you can be naked and not be subject to sexual assault. But... For me, it was a release, and I did feel like there was a shift. 
a huge burden taken off my shoulders and that I had put this out there. Somebody's it's fallen on someone's ears and it's, it's been said. And thankfully it was received well and I felt supported. That makes such a huge difference. And I know for me, I wanted to share with people well before I did, but it was such a mess in my head what had happened. And there was the shame and the blame and all of that stuff going on as well. But I was so terrified of someone telling me that it was my fault. And I was afraid to tell people that knew the both of us. And so I would talk around it sometimes because it was important to me. Like I needed help because of how it was affecting me. And it was, it was something that I needed to talk about, but I didn't know how to talk about. And so I'm just, I'm really grateful that the people I ended up talking to were supportive. And my first real partner, my first real relationship after it happened, that he was supportive. And that it just makes such a huge difference. So I'm just, I'm so happy for you as well that your partner was able to be supportive and hold that space for you. I think you brought up a very good, um, a very good point. Don't you feel that once we share, there's this light bulb that goes off that it's okay to need help. Yes. It's okay to reach out and it's okay to be able to like share this secret and be able to seek help for it and support for it. Yeah. And there was something for me personally, I don't know if this is true for you or other people that having understanding care and support from men was particularly healing because I feel like, again, in my own experience, there were a lot of women that could relate and were very supportive and were very quick to be like, that was not your fault. And here's why, because a lot of women that I know have experienced similar things to one degree or another. And so I was extra terrified to talk to men And for me, having men that were just like, that is absolutely not okay. And you were not to blame. And some of the things like your partner said to you, there was something, at least for me, that was extra healing about that. For me, I think it was, I I haven't actually viewed it as like whether I've received support from men or women, but, and I, I guess I don't think like I have. I don't know. I don't have relationships with men that like I am open to sharing this opportunity hasn't presented itself. I have good relationships with men, but I think the opportunity or the, uh, my, my need to share had not come up. So I, I can't say for sure whether it's one way or the other. Yeah. And I think that you brought up some really good points in the ways that you dealt with it afterwards in that period afterwards where there was isolation and then there was promiscuity. And I relate to that as well. And I think it's different for everybody and which one they go to or how they use both. But both for me were very, very healing, like having a period of time where it was like, I didn't want any closeness, not even I didn't want friends in my house. I didn't want my animals near me, like no cuddling. Like I didn't like to be touched at all. And there were a lot of ways that I isolated from my relationships, but also just from like touch and intimacy in general. And that was really tremendously valuable for me. And then there was a period for me where I was very promiscuous. And and there was a part of that that was like, I'm, I'm reclaiming something, even though I couldn't tell you what at the time, but it was definitely this reclaiming of like, 
I get to decide what happens with my body and with who, and if it happens again after once, like there was something about it that in one way made me question myself, but in a lot of ways, like I just kind of instinctually knew like this has to happen. And I've heard a lot of other survivors talk about similar things as well. I think it's that reclaiming that your power, reclaiming something that's been taken and something that you, I, I feel like I was trying to replace it or trying to make sense of it and like take charge of my life and my body and do what I wanted with it. Right. And I think that's, that's got, that's got a lot to do with it. And I, I did go through the part the, I did grow through this stage where I didn't want any relationships with anybody, but I craved the warmth and I craved the, I pretended to be in love. I pretended, I played it, I played it in my mind that like I was in something which I knew I wasn't going to make into something else. I wasn't going to make it into a relationship. I did not want to have a relationship with anybody. I didn't want to have intimacy with anybody, but at the same time, I was craving it and I got it from promiscuity. Being promiscuous allowed me to pretend in those short moments and those short episodes what I wanted. I got what I wanted and what I needed from those little short periods of time. Absolutely. I relate to that. What did it look like for you to really start healing from this? So I know you said you started sharing and talking to supportive people about it, but was there anything else that you did to really start processing the experience like out of your nervous system and body? So I, I started getting, I, I was, I started be, my behaviors were out of hand. They were very unhealthy behaviors and I was I was out all the time. I was drinking all the time. I was smoking. I was sleeping around. I was missing work. I was doing all these things that were not productive and well, they were detrimental to my life. And what happened really the catalyst for my healing was my 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 boyfriend, now husband. That's such a weird thing to say because I'm trying to differentiate the time, but at the time we weren't married. But he, he insisted on me getting treatment. And so I didn't, I didn't believe that it was going to help because I thought that I, I believed with all full conviction that what I did was my fault, right? And I didn't need help. I just needed to be forgiven somehow by somebody. I don't know who, but I felt like I needed forgiveness for what I had done for me to be able to carry on. And I wasn't getting that and I wasn't going to get that. And so I started, I started treatment because to, in the beginning, just to pacify him, to make him feel okay that I was going to get help and things were going, things were going to change. And that was when I, in, in treatment, in therapy, I realized that it was a violation. I, I say I realized. I, I started that thought process. I began that thought process that this was a violation. And I started trying to believe. I say trying to believe because it was a, a long, like, 10, 12-year process for me to finally get to the point where I accept it as a violation. And so I, that, that went on for many years. And only recently, 
did about two years ago, did I finally come to a conclusion that I wasn't wrong, that it wasn't my fault, that I believed, I believed that what happened was a violation. And I think that is huge. There's a very big difference between understanding what happened as a violation and actually believing, truly believing what happened. And I think that at that point was when like true healing began. And that's how I got to writing my book and like putting it on paper and being able to process it. I think because I was in a different place, I was in a place of healing, distance from the incident, from the trauma. Yeah, you make a really important point too. It was similar for me. I I actually couldn't call it what it was for a long time. It took a friend calling me up after a conversation where I kind of talked around it. I didn't even directly share what happened. And this friend called me and said, you know, there's a word for what happened, right? And I remember it hitting me and it took other people saying it like internally, I could start to say like, okay, yes, this was the R word. This was assault. This was you know, a violation. This was not okay, but I could never, it took me a few years before I could say it out loud to other people. And even longer before I could say it out loud without crying and shaking. And it's, at least for me, and it sounds like it was similar for you. It's like this slow recognition process and slowly allowing that to take root and to kind of like take over or dissolve or somehow like wash through all the other stories we have of like, no, it was my fault and I'm to blame and I need forgiveness and whatever else it is. It's like, it's this slow and subtle and it might be different for other people. But I know for me, it's like this like slow overtake, like truth just like slowly overtook all the lies and stories in my head. And it. Yeah, it was like a slowly breaking free. I think shame and guilt are two very, very powerful things that can really weigh you down. And like it's very, it roots, it roots itself so deep that it's very difficult to weed it out, to take it out. And we talk a lot about having support on this show, specifically mentors, which can be like internal mentors, spiritual mentors, or people outside of us. And it sounds like you had your amazing boyfriend at the time, now husband, and you were getting support through treatment. Were there any other people or mentors internally or externally that really helped facilitate the healing for you? For me, I, well, I have an uncle. I don't have many mentors. I would say like I have a good support system and people who supported me through my, my healing process that I had to like walk on by, by myself really. Um, so I have an uncle who basically raised me and he is also very spiritual and he believes in karma and he believes in the divine purpose. And he believes that we, he, he's, he, Helped me through a lot of moments when I was suicidal. I had suicidal ideation and I had suicide attempts and like I thought that that was the answer. And having somebody who is so spiritual telling me that you have a purpose and your time is not up yet. When it is when it is up, it will be up. But 
don't go chasing it. And he helped me understand. It helped me move towards trying to look for that purpose or waiting for that purpose to appear to me. And I think that in a lot, in a lot of my healing, I find that hope and determination were two very strong things that helped me out. And like to have to to have the will and determination to get stronger, to get better, to have a vision of something that I couldn't understand at the time. He was able to give me a vision of a life that is worth living. And that gave me hope. And I think that once, once you hit that first mark and you keep thinking about it, I think the vision gets clearer and clearer and the will and the determination gets stronger and stronger. And so for that, I think like he was, he was a great support for me. I agree. That's incredible to have somebody that can help you remember that because it is when you're in any challenging chapter or traumatic experience, or you're deep in the healing work, especially when there's suicidal ideation or things like that happening, it's really hard to see that this is a moment in time. This is a chapter of a bigger book. This is a season and things will change. And so it's that's amazing that he was there to support you in that way. And that's such a powerful message because I, I'm very strongly believe that life is always shaping us. Like I, I personally don't believe that life is happening to us. I feel like life is just always happening and it happens around us. And some of that is spiritual and divine and some of that is human and chaotic. And either way, it's shaping us into more of who we're here to be and shaping our relationships and our work in the world. And so to have somebody in your corner that was really communicating that idea of like purpose and a a bigger picture and a longer path than where you were at. That's just, that's pretty amazing. For you, what did the, in the midst of all of this, navigating your healing, what did the diagnosis for bipolar, how did that affect you as well? That threw, that was a curveball, right? I didn't expect some, I didn't expect another diagnosis. And that's the other thing that I'm very passionate about the stigma around mental illness and like how my first reaction when I, because I live in the stigma, I lived in the stigma that only crazy people see therapists, only crazy people get help with your mental state and that having bipolar means that you're crazy. And that was what I thought. And I was so resistant to treatment and I refused, I refused to go I refused to go to therapy. I, re- I went for the first few sessions and I refused to talk because I insisted that there was nothing wrong with me, that I, was, I wasn't in need of psychological help because psychological help is terrible, right? That means something's really wrong. Something's wrong with me. And I, I felt like I had already enough things that were wrong with me that I didn't need another thing wrong with me. But bipolar disorder is something real. It's not something that's going away. It's not something that's curable. It's something that's manageable and treatable, but it's not going away. And so I think as soon as I realized that and accepted that, I was more open to changing my way of living, changing my way of looking at life, because I realized that there was another hurdle in like the way I would have to um, process the world as I, I had seen it before. 
And where did writing come into play? Did Were you always a writer? Did you write throughout all of this? Did it start with writing the book? Did you start blogging? When did that come into play? Um, I think I, I wrote sporadically. Like, so I was, um, I, as a child, I loved writing. Writing was my favorite thing to do when I was a child. And then when I, in my early 20s, I used to write, I used to write for, I was a copywriter for a magazine and um, I was a script writer for TV shows. And I, I did some, that sort of writing for a while. And I always loved writing, but I, when I, when I recently realized that my healing was in a very advanced stage, I would say, I guess I had, I had come a long way in my healing process. Yeah. And I felt like I was very far away from where I used to be. And my husband came up with the idea of putting it down on paper. He said, why don't you write a book? And I was like, what? Write a book? Like, no one's <laughs> going to read my book. Like, oh, about what? But I never realized how much writing itself was therapeutic. And it was healing. And I was processing, I was reprocessing all these things that I've processed for years. I've been processing the same events. This one particular event, this traumatic tragedy in my life, I have been processing for the past 20 years. But when I put it on paper and I was writing it there and the realization that this is for the eyes of others that I was now announcing to the world, I was now sharing what had happened and processing that into what I wanted people to understand about the situation. It was very healing. And there's a, there's a form of advocacy in there too, right? That I want, I want to be part of the conversations dismantling rape culture. And so like being able to share my, share my um, trauma and being able to share how I processed it, being able to share the societal uh, impacts on that on the incident like that was that was very powerful for me and i think it brought even more healing and i'm i'm further along now i think after writing i relate to that so deeply when i actually started writing unravel i had a traumatic loss in 2014 and i started writing it about six months after that loss and then ended up in the abusive relationship and and everything else went haywire in my life but when I finally sat down to write the book, it was about four years later. It was awful and heartbreaking and beautiful and healing. Like it was this messy experience and absolutely like going back through all of the traumatic moments, all of the hard experiences and, and trying to tell the truth of what had happened in a way that would be supportive of other people. Like there was something that was so hard and heartbreaking about that, but that was also unbelievably cathartic and healing. And I read something you wrote, it might've been on your Instagram or your blog, where you talked about how re-traumatizing it was to go through that stuff. And I relate to that. And I'm curious to hear for you, there was a lot of internal work that I had to do to really hold steady when I put my book out, knowing people are going to read this. People are going to know all the gory details about the last few years. And 
not just strangers on the internet or strangers who buy the book, but like people who know me, clients who work with me, family members. And there was a lot of terror around that. And so I would love to hear for you what it's been like and if you've had any process of centering yourself or if the writing process itself helped, but just, I guess, how you feel about like your book is coming out soon and it's going to be out in the world. And what's that experience like for you? I am absolutely terrified. I'm absolutely terrified that people are going to know my story, but then like, why write a book if I didn't want it? Right. (laughs) But but, I mean, like that's, 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 uh, that's the thing I struggle with, but I try to keep my head above water by writing, writing. I'm still writing. I'm still processing. I blog and I share. And I think it helps also, like, I'm afraid that someone's going to read it. But then sometimes the odd time someone reads something and someone sends me a message and says, like, I was there, you know, like I was there with you because like this happened to me too. And like, that's the power of me too, right? To be able to like empower each other and give each other strength and courage. And I think like I try to remind myself of that outcome of the book, like that I'm going to touch somebody's life and like somebody's going to look at this and say like, I have a voice too. Or like that, like this happened to me. Just, just, just experiencing something that somebody else has experienced and sharing that same experience is powerful. Like to know that you're not alone. For them to feel not alone. And if I can touch one person that way, I think that that my book is a success. And I try to remind myself of these things. But at the same time, I'm also still doing healing work. Because like like you were saying, I am re-traumatized every time I have to read about it. Or every time I think about it. Like I, I write, I've blogged about it indirectly. I don't um, go through the gory details but I do in my book. And when I was editing and I was looking at it over and over my copy, looking over my copy edits, like right before, before I'm sending it, submitting it to be printed, I'm like reading it over and over and over again, making sure that everything is right. But I was forcing myself to, I was forcing myself to do it at the same time I was traumatizing myself. And I don't think that like, and then I was mad. I was mad at myself. Like, why are you still traumatized? Get over it. It is yeah. over. It is done. You are healed and everything is fine now. And then that's when I realized that, you know what? Trauma is not a destination. Trauma is really a journey, right? We keep healing. We keep evolving and then we keep healing. Our perspectives change. Our lives change. Circumstances around our life change. But we keep evolving with it. And with that, the healing, what healing looks like changes. And I think being able to accept that and then move with it and have it be fluid. I think that that has helped me. That's beautiful. And thank you for sharing that because it's so true. You know, I, I still get frustrated with myself when new layers of my trauma come up or I still have triggers that debilitate me or derail me. And it, it is, it's frustrating, especially when you do the work to heal and you have seen changes and improvement and you have seen shifts and felt freedom to like hit up against another layer of it is just like, why, <laughs> why is this still here? Get it out of my nervous system. I actually was just saying that too. 
One of the modalities that I use is acupressure. And the woman that does it for me, because I do it for my clients as well, she's incredible. And I was just telling her yesterday, I think it was like, I just want this out of my nervous system. Like, I just don't want this in here anymore. <laughs> and so I love that you named the truth of that frustration because we do the work and we find layers of freedom and healing and peace and our life changes. And then you just like one day you bump up against that scab or it's still bruised and tender in some spot. And you're like, okay, here's another layer. And especially if you're rereading your own trauma, that absolutely is triggering. Yeah. I would love if you could share a little bit about what you do on an ongoing basis. And maybe it depends on if something is triggering you or not, but what do you do to really continue your healing and to like establish, like continually establish a solid foundation for yourself, like mental health and self-care and healing wise? I do several things. I do things that bring peace and calm to my mind because a lot of times I, I'm in manic episodes or mixed episodes where my mind is not still. And then throw trauma in there, trauma PTSD in there, and like it's a whole jumble of a mess. So I do a lot of mindful meditation. I do I spend a lot of time meditating. Um I, I do it in the morning. I do it, I do it in the morning when I wake up. I do it in, at night before I go to bed. I read a lot. I what else do I do? I I work out. Yes, I forgot about that. Working out. I feel like that's a. I, I'm not fit in any sense, but I do it. <laughs> I do it for the endorphins. And like I, I, I find that that, ha that has some consistency in working out has helped me keep a balanced state of mind. And that's, that's really important. Like whatever, whatever it is, if you run or if you do yoga, if you do, um, I don't know, Zumba, whatever it is, whatever your, your choice of pain is, I think that it's a necessary pain and it's so helpful to keep consistently. True. Exercising, especially right after my loss, like saved my life. It just kept me grounded. It moved all the anxiety out of my body. It just, it makes a huge difference. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, I, I, when you said anxiety, they just reminded me like, so my therapist just recommended this to me. I, I have a, um, a punching bag. That's awesome. And I feel like there are times when I'm restless or when there's times when I'm imbalanced and I just feel this anxiety and restlessness and mind racing, boxing helps me. Some kind of aggressive, aggressive exertion of energy. Yes. I think that's an that's a instant surge in endorphins. That's almost an instant surge in endorphins at that point. And I, I recommend it to anybody who wants to try it's so true. I love boxing. I haven't boxed in a while, but I'm getting ready to move. And that's one of the things I want to look for is a boxing gym. And you bring up a good point because emotions are just energy and like anxiety is like energy that's trapped in our body. And so we're so afraid of our anger and we're so afraid of like the aggression that's behind some of those emotions and feelings. But it's like, if you can do something like box, and move it out of your system, like that's healthy and productive in so many ways. It's releasing. 
yeah releasing the energy and allowing it to like not implode in, inside exactly what is something that you would tell yourself if you could go back and you could talk to 19, 20 year old you who has just gone through this horrible experience, who's isolating, who's really internalizing and struggling with what happened? What's one piece of advice that you would give to yourself? I'd probably say, well, I don't know, I can think of two things. I would definitely say that you are worth it. Whatever it is that I want to try, like I am worth it. And that it's okay to need help. There was something I wish I knew. I wish I knew that I, I, I was worth, I deserved help. Was something that I wish I knew. Yeah, that gives me goosebumps. That's beautiful. And what would you say to anybody who is navigating either PTSD or their own whether it's bipolar disorder or something else going on with their mental and emotional health, what is advice that you would give to them? I don't like giving advice. <laughs> I don't feel like I have, I am the authority on advice, but I'll share <laughs> some, I'll share some of the things that I've learned over the years. There's this thing that my friends say, my friends, my friends always say they are not, they are no wrong cards. And so nothing's good, nothing's bad. It happened because it happened, simply because it happened. And so there's no point in like going back and really just being, putting yourself back in that moment over and over again, or trying to understand why, why I, I for a long time, I asked myself, why did this happen to me? Why did I get bipolar? What did I do to deserve this? Like, why am I the one stuck with this? And now I feel like there are no wrong cards. And so, like, it is what it is. Just accept it and move on. And, like, I, I, it's a more peaceful way to live my life, to be able to be at peace that there's no reason for blame, there's no reason for shame and guilt and fear and resentment. And I, I feel like that helps me. That helps me with going through my healing process and being more open to healing. That is a really challenging and powerful way to view the world. I have done a lot of studying and like practicing and teaching around making the impossible happen. And one of the things that I learned from one of my favorite books, Tracy Goss, The Last Word on Power, is the idea that. When we're trying to do impossible things, like cause and effect is irrelevant. Like all we look at is the effect. This is what happened. And we don't worry about the cause and we don't worry about our interpretations and our stories about what happened. It's just, here's what happened. What is it that I want and what needs to happen for me to move towards what I want? Like, it doesn't matter why I ended up here. I don't, it, yes, I have my feelings about it, especially if it's hard things, but this is where I am now. This is the effect. This is the reality right now. Where do I want to go from here? And what needs to happen for me to move in that direction? So I just, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I love the way you, you say it. There are no bad cards. Because to say that they're like, I got dealt a good deck of cards or a good hand and you got a bad hand. Like that, that's an interpretation. That's a story. 
And then we start to assess like, why did I get the bad hand and you got the good one? And why did, and it's just like, none of that helps us in any way. And, and you're right that at least for me, all it ever does is cause a tremendous amount of anxiety or depression because I'm in my story and I'm worried about things and I'm judging versus just like, okay, this is my hand. <laughs> where am I going to go from here? I would love if you could share where people can find you, how they can learn from you, and how they can get a copy of your book. So I can be found on ameliazachary.com. That's Z-A-C-H-R-Y. I think a lot of people spell that wrongly a lot. So it's ameliazachary.com. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Brown Girl Crazy World. Your book cover is beautiful. And my book is available. This is not this is not like officially announced yet, but especially for your listeners, I'm sharing that it is available for pre-order. Um, you can get it on my website or on Amazon or anywhere where books are sold. And it comes out October 2022. I can't wait to read it. Amelia, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your journey and all the wisdom and nuggets that you picked up along the way. And thank you for your work in the world and for having these hard conversations so openly. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv free including access to my signature process for how to make the impossible happen, packaged in a simple, easy to follow workbook that you can implement immediately. Whether you're trying to heal in the aftermath of a challenging chapter, working to uncover your purpose, or going after anything else that feels impossible, you'll learn how to take an entirely different kind of action that goes against much of what you've been taught about manifestation and goal achievement. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community. So please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.